Kendra Winchester here with Autumn Privet, and this is Reading Women, a podcast where we're reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And today we have for you an interview with Mira T. Lee, the author of Everything Here is Beautiful. Ah, uh, this is such a great read. Yeah, it was very moving. It really is. And like, so it's about a book about mental illness and about two sisters, and one of them has a type of schizophrenia. It's a very good book to read, but... It's definitely a more thoughtful book. Yeah, it's one of those difficult books that you don't want to say you enjoyed it because it's not exactly the right word, but it's definitely worth reading. I really appreciated how Mira portrays the caregiver relationship that Miranda has with her younger sister, Lucia, who has schizophrenia, but also Lucia's partners. Uh, and you know, Lucia has a child and just all the complicated relationships that are around someone who experiences schizophrenia and how it affects not just her, but the people in her life. So without further ado, here is our interview with Mira T. Lee. So we want to welcome Mira Tilly to the podcast today. She is here to talk about her debut novel, Everything Here is Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Mira. Thank you so much to you for having me. We were both really excited about this book when we saw the blurbs, and then we were really excited to get a copy to review it and then to get to interview you about it. So, Yeah, well, it's been very exciting. <laughs> yeah, I just finished it a few days ago, and I went into full book coma Oh, and no. just had to sit and like just breathe and like think through everything. And I'm still thinking about it even oh. even now. So it's definitely one that stays with you. Oh, thanks. Thank you so much. So if you could describe for our listeners a little bit about Everything Here is Beautiful, just so they understand like the plot a little bit and kind of what it's all about. Sure. So I like to describe it as a very messy cross-cultural family drama. And it's about two sisters whose lifelong bond is put to the test as the younger Lucia um, struggles with a difficult mental illness. But I do think it's much broader than that. It's a story told from several different points of view, including the two sisters and the men in their lives. And those include um, Yona, an Israeli shopkeeper, and Stefan, who's a Swiss doctor, and Manny, who's a young, undocumented Ecuadorian immigrant who's the father of Lucia's child. And I really wanted to tackle a series of moral and situational dilemmas. So questions that have no right or wrong answers, but show how family members can be in conflict with each other and uh, pitted against each other, even though they love one another and no one's really at fault. And I also wanted to explore what our responsibilities are to the people we love and where that boundary is between sacrificing for others and being true to yourself. And so the story kind of follows Lucia's life through the eyes of people who love her and also, you know, through her own voice. It spans, you know, a few decades and as she moves across the globe and just is trying to find, you know, a place where she belongs. Now that you've described it, it's just an and it's such an ambitious novel. And as we mentioned, this is your first novel. I mean, what was it like to tackle something so big in, you know, your first book? Yeah. <laughs> well, I never expected to write a novel when I was starting out. And I don't think that I would have ever just jumped in and said, oh, I'm going to try to write this 
book, you know, book length work. But I started writing a little over a decade ago. And that was for one very specific reason, which was that I had just experienced something with my own family. And I thought it made a really interesting story and I was really burning to tell it. I tried to write it as a screenplay and then I tried to write it as a short story and eventually it did get published as a short story. And so then I thought, oh, cool, you know, maybe I'll try writing more short stories. And so I never at any point thought, oh, I want to write a book, but I just kind of inched my way along this path. And then the idea for the novel uh, came to me when my two kids were really young and I hadn't written anything for a while, but I did have these um, characters for my short stories and also these um, predicaments that I was thinking about putting them in. So again, these kinds of questions that have no right or wrong answers. You know, at that point I thought, well, if, if there's ever a time that I'm going to write a book and if there's ever a story that I'm going to tell, this is the time and this is the story. And so I just kind of told myself, I'll try, I'll see what happens. So you know, I, it was pretty lonely because I didn't have a writing group. I didn't have a lot of friends who were writers. I'd never done an MFA and I was kind of sitting in the dark with this, you know, I like to call it my dirty little secret because I didn't tell anybody that <laughs> was working on this and I had no idea if it would ever see the light of day. But, but I really did believe in my characters and I really believed that there was a story here that nobody else was going to tell. And I think that's what really motivated me was thinking, I don't think, you know, this story has been told yet. And so I believe that it's worth telling. So it, it, it was, it was really kind of an act of faith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's true that there aren't many, well, I know I've not really read any books that tackle mental illness the way that your book does, but it's interesting that like you kind of started out as a short story and tried to write it as a screenplay. Like what was that revision process like, like as you were working through it? Well, the short story that, that I wrote were not exactly, and the, certainly the screenplay were not um, this story, but it's just how I got started writing. The revision process for this this book was, you know, uh, I would say probably six big drafts um, between the time I started it and the time it was a finished product. And I think it was four drafts before I found an agent and then, you know, a couple more with my editor. Yeah, so it was a long process. Did you end up like finding a group of people? You said you didn't really have a writing group or anything. Did you end up finding a group of people like that? Or was it mostly like on your own? Yeah, no, I didn't. It was really pretty much on my own. I think the real turning point for me was when I found an agent. I finally felt like, oh, you know, somebody else actually cares about this project. And that was a real validating experience. I think for, you know, most writers, that's a huge, hugely validating point in their careers. Yeah. At that point I thought, Oh, somebody else thinks that this is a story that maybe someone wants to read about. So that was huge. Yeah, absolutely. We, you mentioned a little bit that everything here is beautiful talks about two sisters. Lucia struggled with mental health and Miranda is her older sister. And as Miranda tries to take care of her, you know, Miranda has to kind of put her career and relationships on hold or, you know, kind of complicates them a little bit. What was it about like this sister relationship? Like what made you kind of want to focus your, this discussion of like mental health through that lens and like one of them with it and one without it and just kind of that dynamic? Yeah. Um, So interestingly, 
Uh, the sister relationship wasn't the primary focus of the book in earlier drafts. And mostly I just followed um, the plot and the trajectory of Lucia's life as she met all these different people. So in the beginning, there's her sister because her sister knows her as a child and um, up to the point that Lucia gets married. But then the sister actually disappeared for a long time. And it wasn't until after the book was sold that my editor really suggested that I should highlight the sister's relationship as a strand that would follow the arc of the book um, and kind of hold it together. And that made a lot of sense to me because sibling dynamics are, you know, they're fascinating because they're so fraught and there's all this baggage that comes from childhood and these roles that you're forced into without having any say or even realizing it. And so that made for really great tension and conflict. And again, you know, questions of how you try to help someone who doesn't necessarily want to be helped and what our responsibilities are. And so that, that made sense, but honestly, it wasn't there in the early, earliest drafts. So, yeah. But the way that it comes out in, in the book is, is just beautiful. And you can see the tension between the caregiver and the person that is that is suffering. Uh, and one of the things that really struck me was how you looked at the topic surrounding this type of mental illness. And so Lucy has a type of schizophrenia. And, you know, honestly, I haven't seen too many books that discuss it in such a concrete way. Usually it's just like this overly sensationalized plot device. So one of the questions that I had was, why did you want to focus on this particular type of mental health issue uh, in particular? Yeah, I have mental illness in my own family and schizophrenia in particular. So I have seen it up close. You know, I've seen um, psychosis, which for people who may not be so familiar with it, psychosis is a break from reality. So this often includes delusions, things like believing that you're the Messiah or that FBI has planted a bug in your brain or microwave is sending you messages. Um, those kinds of things that you hear about, but probably maybe haven't seen. Um, and there can be, you know, paranoia and hearing voices. I think it's for people who haven't seen it firsthand, it's pretty hard to imagine. So I really wanted to portray that. And I wanted to portray it in a sympathetic way. I think, you know, to, for people to really connect to it, they have to be able to connect to the character in a very kind of basic human level. And so that was important to me. And then the other thing that I was really interested in highlighting in terms of these um, psychotic illnesses is that they have this component called lack of insight. Clinical name is anosognosia. And that causes the person to be unable to recognize that they're ill. And so if someone doesn't believe that they're ill, because, you know, they think, they're the Messiah and they're going to save the world, for example, um, they don't want to go into a hospital or, you know, see a doctor get treatment. It makes it in incredibly difficult to get help for them. And so, you know, for people on the outside, we might see that they're obviously not making any sense or they're not able to hold down a job anymore, you know, and they've, you know, kind of really turned into somebody who, who is very different from who you've known all your whole, whole life. But you can't get help for them. And that happens so often in families where, you know, loved ones have these illnesses. And I've heard stories, you know, again and again and again, but I've never seen it portrayed in, um, in literature, like maybe in memoirs or certainly not in a kind of um, broader fiction. And so I wanted to portray that. And I just from 
you know, a personal level, it was important to me. But I think it's also interesting to think about, even from a more academic perspective, like how one can be ill but not realize it. And it brings up all these questions that are very thorny, uh, you know, with medications and compliance. And again, have no right or wrong answers, but are very interesting to explore. I think one of the most interesting parts of the book for me was that section in the middle when Lucia is at the, like, in the hospital for, like, four months or five months. But I did feel like she was portrayed very sympathetically, which I really appreciated. And it was so great to kind of get a peek into, like, what was actually going on in her mind. Because especially, like, up until that point, we'd only really seen what Miranda thought of her which, you know, Miranda's not her sister's head and living it. So I just felt like, I don't know, I just really empathize with her during that whole section. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, as I was writing this and I, I knew I had to have, a, you know, that she was going to be such an important character, um, her voice especially, and that it had to be quirky and it had to be lively and smart and perceptive. And so... I thought, you know, in order for people to connect with her, it's so important that she be able to tell the story in her voice, you know, from her perspective. And um, that also really helps people understand how real these delusions are to the people who um, have them. It's as real to them as it is, you know, the fact that you're, you know, interviewing me right now, you know, that's your reality. And for someone who's in a delusion who thinks that, you know, something is speaking to them from the walls, they have reasons for believing that. We just don't know what they are, you know. So to kind of explore that and to kind of get her perspective, I think, was really helpful for me in kind of developing empathy um, for my own family members who do have these illnesses. And but also for a reader to kind of understand, you know, that this isn't just like, oh, this is some like weird craziness. There's actually like stuff going on. um, And it's often very painful and confusing for the person who's ill because they don't know what's they don't understand what's going on, you know, either. So, yeah. So you've mentioned this before a little bit already about how the story is told from a lot of different viewpoint characters. So we get it from both sisters, Yona, Manuel, hospital patients, nurses, like all of this whole litany of people. And then Lucia's perspective is in first and second person. So like, what was your process for deciding like, what point of view you would use to tell the parts of story and like how it would be told? Yeah, well, I when I started, I had this idea that I was going to have four sections and it was just going to be first person narration, you know, from each of the four main characters. And then I was going to be done. Like, (laughs) but like so many things in writing, it just didn't work out as planned. So I told, you know, the story from Miranda's point of view and Manny's. And then I got to this hospital section and I knew that I had to show Lucy in the hospital, but I tried to write it from you know, there was a doctor and I tried to write in his voice and a nurse and, and it just wasn't working. So I switched to third person, like this kind of omniscient narrator. And I just needed to tell that section in whatever way I could. So I just chose the voice that I could get through it with. And then I got to Lucia's section. I knew I had to go back to her first person voice. So I did that. You know, I, I feel like in many ways, it was also almost like you have to do what you can to tell your story. And in a way, this is the only way I could tell the story. Mm -hmm. Um, 
later on, you know, I switched to a third person, a close third person for um, Lucia because I didn't think I could keep up her voice, especially when she kind of enters these more manic phases and then these these phases where we're not sure if she's kind of falling into psychosis again. I couldn't do that from a first person narration. So I switched to third. And so, you know, these things kept happening throughout the book where I just used the point of view that I thought I could use to tell the story. So yeah, so I just kind of got through the book that way. And in the end, you know, I think it works because it's a little bit chaotic, which um, kind of fits with the feeling and with the mental illness. You're not always certain what's going on and what's real and what's not, which was also, you know, kind of my um, intent. Yeah, and I thought it, it really fit because the one, of the, I guess, theme throughout the book is that Lucia's mental illness affects more than just her. It affects all of her caregivers and the people around her. Yeah. And you mentioned in other interviews that you wanted to explore the complexities of caring for someone with mental health problems. And each of Lucia's uh, partners and her sister and just people around her take different strategies yes. with taking care of her. Yes. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about what you want to explore with all of those different characters? Yeah, I think that... Um you know, for example, Miranda is her sister and she's kind of seen her illness kind of up close and she's kind of in the trenches and she's been to the hospitals and, um, you know, spoken with the doctors. And so she takes a very kind of clinical approach and she keeps these records of, you know, what Lucia's medications are. And she's very much an advocate for her sister, you know, and trying to tell the doctors what, you know, what medicines work and things like that. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of her organized, methodical, older sister kind of role. And so it fits that she would kind of see it that way. And then there's, you know, Yona, who is a much more kind of, kind of just a person who feels his way through everything. And he thinks, oh, you know, she just needs this or she just needs this. And so, you know, they clash, they clash because Yona doesn't necessarily think that uh, the illness has to do with uh, medications or that he doesn't think she needs to be in the hospital. So, you know, they clash over that. And then there's Manny who later on, because he and Lucia have a child and they move to Ecuador together. Um, he's also, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for him because he's really there dealing with her um, kind of day to day. You know, Miranda is not living with her sister anymore. You know, she has her, Lucia has her own life. And so also having a child thrown into the mix makes things trickier and it can be scarier because if um, when Lucia is not so lucid, she starts to do things that are not safe for the child. And so you see it from his point of view, which is a very kind of just practical, I need to do whatever I need to do um, in order to make sure my child is safe and in, in order to make sure that I can, you know, I can just live. They're kind of coming from three pretty different places and how they interact with her. And I thought that was also um, good to kind of show the 360 degree kind of perspective on um, not only the illness, but also just um, Lucia's life. She's living it because um, these illnesses are most often, you know, lifelong conditions and they, they're very cyclical. You know, people will go through phases where they're stable and then periods of crisis will occur. And it's pretty unpredictable sometimes. But um, so, you know, following that kind of longer time span and broader scope, I think it worked well to have these different characters. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing we haven't really touched on yet is that the fact that 
Miranda and Lucia are both, well, Miranda was born in China, and then Lucia is born in the U.S., and their mom is a single mom, and she's also an immigrant, and she's also in school, and I feel like that that whole experience of being first-generation Americans kind of played into to all of these goals that both of the sisters had, and like, how did that affect the way that they Miranda in particular, and Lucia too, approached her whole health. Yeah, I think, you know, the fact that the mother came over with them and the sisters are a little bit different in that one was just born here in this country. And so she's very much just kind of more American. And then the other one, you know, has some memories of childhood in China and then also kind of experienced Um, what it was like to have to adjust to being this country. And so that gives the two sisters a little bit different perspective, even though, you know, they're have the same, they're from the same family and same mother, obviously, but it gives them a little bit of different perspective. And so I thought that was interesting. And also regards to illness, I think these illnesses in other cultures, I mean, are very heavily stigmatized and not talked about. And so um, the mother, even though she might have known something was going on, I think it would not at all be uncommon for a family to not talk about it, you know, to not want to deal with it, um, to be very ashamed of it. So um, that was something I wanted to explore also. I saw in another interview that you wanted to talk about what it was like to have a mental illness, especially in communities of color and uh, just the different backgrounds. And I think you did such a great job with that. I greatly appreciate what you you did there. In the beginning of the interview, you talked about how this is a wonderful multicultural like family saga. And there are several different interracial relationships. Uh, Lucia's two partners are both of different ethnic backgrounds and you know Miranda's married to this Swiss guy so what are some of the ideas that you want to explore in all of this multiculturalism throughout the book and uh, just with all these different characters from different backgrounds and how their cultures interact with each other's yeah so I think when I'm writing the book I'm I'm rarely thinking about like bigger themes like you know, multiculturalism or immigration or, or even mental illness, to be quite honest, when I'm writing, I'm thinking about my individual characters and their emotions and their relationships to the other characters. And, um, the themes are things that you think about later and they kind of arise organically from that. And so speaking about, you know, the multiculturalism and the kind of diversity in the book, basically, it wasn't something that I consciously thought about because my own world has just been always been filled with people from all different backgrounds. So my parents were first generation immigrants and growing up, I lived abroad and I went to international school for a few years. And so I met, you know, kids from every, you know, many, many different places. And then uh, many of the people that I met when I was a young adult were also immigrants. And I dated people who were different from me, you know, and I know a lot of interracial couples. And so, you know, I live in Boston and I spent a lot of time in New York and I think, you know, those are very diverse cities. And so it, it just felt completely natural to me that my fictional world would mirror my real one. And it wasn't anything I really put any special effort into. You know, I realized that that isn't what everyone's version of America looks like, but it really is what mine looks like. And so I thought that it was valid and that I wanted to see it reflected in literature. And so, you know, so I just kind of wrote what 
came naturally to me. I really felt like as I was reading that it read that way, that it was just felt like just this normal family. And even though a lot of literature doesn't always reflect, you know, that diversity that America actually is, it was really refreshing actually just to see this kind of a normal family in a normal kind of context with all these wonderful people from all these different backgrounds. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, that really means a lot to me because, you know, I, you know, at points I did worry about it. I was like, this feels really normal to me, but I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I, you know, especially in publishing, I was like, are they going to think this is really bizarre or (laughs) they're going to make me change some of my characters? I realize, you know, what's taking a step back from it, that maybe it looks kind of different from what we might be used to reading about. But, but I really think that I wasn't focusing on the kind of ethnicities or, you know, kind of the outward appearances of my characters. I really was focusing on them as siblings and, you know, as, you know, lovers and spouses and, you know, children who felt responsibilities to their parents and parents who were trying to take care of their kids. And so um, that was always what it was about for me was them as, you know, as, as people and, and, you know, kind of playing these you know roles that we all play in our own lives. And so I, I hoped that the kind of outward characteristics would be part of them, but really not their, you know, their main defining characteristics. Yeah. And I think it did. Well, I felt that way at least. <laughs> 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 so those are all the questions we had for about your book, but we did want to ask you, like, who are some of your favorite women writers that have inspired you in your work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are many. Um, I love Elizabeth Strout. Um, mm-hmm. I just think she has this amazing way of um, conveying nuances in her sentences, just like smallest things can convey so much. I really like Jennifer Egan, Laurie Moore. I read a lot of when I was um, writing short stories, starting out Amy Hempel, also short story writer. I loved her kind of simplicity of language. Chris Lee is a Korean American writer who I, whose language I admire very much. I loved um, Elena Ferrante's books because of mm-hmm. kind of the immersiveness <laughs> in the world. She yes. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I read um, Tayari Jones's new book, you know, mm-hmm. um, An American Marriage, which I loved. And I uh, last year read um, Camila Shamsi's Home Fire, which I also uh, really liked. And oh, two other writers I can think of um, are Laurie Ostland and Pamela Ahrens, whose books, mm-hmm. I don't know if they're really, uh, maybe the last two years. Pamela Ahrens' book, 11 Hours, was a book that I probably wouldn't have picked up myself, but a friend recommended to me. And I just thought it was brilliant the way she like interwove these two stories. And, um, I think there's just so many different things that I admire in different writers. And so, yeah, I think it's so easy to find (laughs) great, you know, great novels by great women writers. Yeah. Yeah. And some of many of those that you mentioned are some of our favorites too. There are so many good ones now. I feel like, I feel like it's, I don't know what people are talking about when they're like, it's hard to find. I mean, it's just like, they're all out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like the TBR that's sitting by you of all these amazing women writers you want to read. (laughs) Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. We just read Octavia Butler this year and we're like, why have we never read her? It's just like, (laughs) 
she's in that TBR, you know, that one's like taller than my head right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But so we're not, so I'm not sure if you can talk about anything yet or if you would rather not jinx it, but are there any projects that you're working on now that you'd like to share with us? Um, not really. I think it's too early. Um, I have ideas that I'm, you know, that I'm working on that I'm interested in. Um, they might be short stories or they might also lead to something bigger. Uh, but nothing that I, yeah, nothing concrete enough for me to be advertising. Yeah. Well, we'll keep an eye out and see your next, uh, writing comes out whether it's your stories or whatever you decide we are here for you (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much for coming to talk to us today about your book um we really appreciate it we really enjoyed reading it so thank you for sharing it with us yeah thank you so much for having me on this on your podcast well thanks for coming We, we had a lot of fun thanks for talking with us So that was our interview with Mira T. Lee. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about this very moving book. Yeah, so be sure to go and pick up a copy of Everything Here is Beautiful. It is published by Pamela Dorman Books, and you can find it anywhere you buy your books. And if you want to find out more about Mira, you can find her on Facebook and Twitter at Mira T. Lee and on her website, MiraTLee.com. And we will have links to all of this in our show notes, so that way you can easily find it and click over and follow her and you definitely want to um and as for us you can find reading women on social media at the reading women on litzy and twitter and facebook and you can find kendra at katie winchester and me at autumn privet thank you all so much for listening to reading women and we will talk to you all soon bye guys bye